Welcome to One Cardinal, One Cub, and One Beer. I am your effervescent host, Vincent Opper, and I am joined by my co-host, J.J. Jackson, and frequent collaborator, Max Opper. Hi, hey. people. Everybody say hey. hi. Yeah. Um, I'm in a kind of a goofy mood, and uh, uh, because I'm a Cub fan, and, you know, we're not going to make it easy on ourselves, are we? But anyway, I do encourage you to like us on Facebook. Um Follow us on Twitter. Contact us through one card, one cup, one beer at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our page by clicking on the icon at the bottom right, those of you who are on Mac or PC. If you are watching this on a TV at the end of the video, you're going to see a, a circle pop up with our logo in it. Just use your little clicker, highlight that, press enter, and then you are a member of our society. Uh, kind of like the skulls, you know, one of those secret societies that no one's going to talk about. For life. That's right, for life. Uh, NWO, for life. For life, however it was, I don't remember. Uh, you can support us through Patreon. Uh, you can go to Patreon and search one card, one cardinal, one cup, and one beer. And uh, you can uh, support us uh, in our efforts through a minimal, and I do mean minimal, financial donation, uh, which... Uh, in, a, in about a week or two, I'm going to announce a, a new contest where we're going to be putting some of this to use and you can take advantage of it. So anyway, uh, gentlemen, how are you doing? Well, Cardinals got officially eliminated this week, so I was going to wear all black today, but that's the way it goes. We saw it coming a lot. We saw it around the 4th of July. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. So it's been rough. Well... As a Cubs fan, we're treading water right now. So glad to just be in it. Just know that we would love to be in your spot right now. So whatever happens, you did better than us. And uh, we would love to even have a shot, but wasn't in the cards this year. Ah, pun intended. Pun intended. What did the Cardinals do this week? Well, hey, can I talk a little baseball first? Can, can we get a little let's, baseball business out of there? Let's talk I, baseball. Let's talk baseball. Yeah, baseball. Well, I tell you what. I'm wearing my Baltimore Oriole hat, the old St. Louis Browns. It's not because I'm a traitor. I love my Cardinals. but uh, And I didn't adopt the Orioles. But Brooks Robinson passed away. And Brooks Robinson, for all you young little leaguers and younger folks, um, get a chance. Watch his videos. He was just a uh, machine at third base. Uh, nobody even wanted to hit it over there. Um, I love Brooks. He's one of my, probably, if I had 25 players that I wrote down that were my favorites, not saying the best, but my favorites, Brooks Robinson would be one of them. He's an Arkansas guy. We all as Arkansas folks have to stick together. Um, he was 86 years old. He played 23 seasons with the uh, Baltimore Orioles. And can you name the only other player that played 23 years with one team? There's one hey, other. Aaron. One. Good, good guess. No uh, Musial. Sorry. Yaskrimski. Yaskrimski? How many did Musial play? Uh, I think it was 22. Okay. I think played 22. But Stan was in the World War II, so he missed a couple of years there. And, uh, and you know, uh, Brooks didn't have to go he was a pacifist yeah. so he to... <laughs> yes he was a pacifist that's you know, right once once i i i and i thought it was a pretty good joke and uh i tried it out at an open mic um how did it go uh um my i i had a friend who uh has just 
I have a friend who's suffering from cancer, but he's putting up a good fight. The doctor said that he's a fighter and he's been battling this for five years and he keeps going. Uh, I had another friend who died at the age of 19 uh, from a cold, but he was a pacifist. <laughs> and I thought it was a funny joke. Nobody laughed. And then the host at the open mic at the funny bone got up there and said, what's a pacifist? And I thought, oh, okay, dumb crowd. Yeah. <laughs> you, you I use that big way. words here at the funny bone, do you? <laughs> so, you know, I run into that all the time. I think it's a common knowledge word, you know, like, uh, and sometimes people don't get it or something like that. Yeah. Good joke, by the way. I like that joke. Thank Very you. good. Very now, good. But, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead and finish with Brooks. I have something to add about that. Just just some uh, nicknames he had. He was the human vacuum cleaner. I never heard that one. I looked it up and they said he was the human vacuum cleaner or Mr. Hoover, but also known as Mr. Oriole. 18 All-Star games. My gosh, 18 All-Star games and 16 straight gold gloves. The And now, here's a little trivia for you. There's, a, there's another player who has 16. And then there's a guy who has 18. Do you know the other player with 16 go gloves? Greg Maddox? I'd say Greg Maddox is one of those guys. Maddox has 18. He broke the record. Jim Cott? Jim Cott. Man, you guys are good. My God, man, that's fantastic. So Jim Cott and Brooks are uh, with 16, and then Greg Maddox. And I'll be honest, Vince, I hate to even bring up Greg Maddox because I know it's like a sore spot, and it feels like I'm trying to rub it in, and I'm not. Greg Maddox is just phenomenal, and you know I do think of him as Atlanta Brave, but he had some great years with the Cubs too. So I try, I try to be, I try to kind of sneak by, just maybe mention Lou Brock. Oh, and it Greg doesn't Maddox. bother me. I'm, I'm well over it. Um, not me. I'm so mad. <laughs> if Larry Himes is still alive, he better not cross my path. <laughs> he better not be a pacifist, huh? Right. Hey, see what I did there? All right. Well. He played 2,870 games at third base, and that is the most by any player at one position. Uh, and I, that's pretty phenomenal. 23 seasons with one team, and I mentioned Yaz. Uh, two world championships, 1966 and 1970, and they probably should have won in 69, uh, but the Miracle Mets came out of nowhere and beat him. So two world championships, American League MVP, a World Series MVP, and he won the Roberto Clemente Award in 1972. And he's a member of the All-Century team in the 1900s. So uh, went in the Hall of Fame in uh, 1983. And I just wanted to mention that. Uh, I, there's an old story about him getting discovered as a kid playing uh, in church softball leagues, playing third base in church softball leagues, and they just couldn't believe how good this kid was. Well, the rest is history. Phenomenal. I got a couple pieces I want to show here. I got a 1961 Brooks Robinson. I just kind of wanted to show that. Look how young he is there. Man, that's that's a young Brooks right there with the old Orioles uniforms. Got the happy bird, the different kind of hat back then, not the one I got on. And then I, I was looking for all kinds of pieces. I got so, my collections all over the place. I'm not the most organized guy, but these were the big giant cards. And Brooks Robinson signed that for me. And he was just a classy guy. I'm nobody. He stood up and shook my hand and looked me in the eyes. And I thought, what a nice guy. And there's a little story on the back where he hit grand slams and back-to-back -back games. And and uh, so anyway, I just wanted to talk about Brooks Robinson because he's one of my favorite ball players. And see if you had any recollections or wanted to add anything to that. 
the uh in the 70 world series i believe it was lee may was up to bat and he hits a a screaming ground ball to the third base side and uh robinson backhands it and he's 15 20 feet in foul territory with his momentum going to the stands and turns around and fires a bullet and throws out may um and that that was the first time the big red machine uh, made an appearance in the World Series in 70, and they were the team of the 70s. They, they were just so dominant for, for the whole decade. And uh, the Orioles, who had had a reputation of not playing so well in the World Series, actually won that. That was two very powerful teams. Um, and everybody that I have uh, ever heard, uh, ex-ball players, current ball players who've met, uh, Robinson uh, raved about what a nice guy he was. And uh, Ron Coomer was uh, saying uh, yesterday that um, when, when, because Coomer played some third base, when he would talk to Brooks Robinson, he, you know, he'd go there to pick his brain. And Robinson would always move the conversation to, what are you doing? How's your game going? So on and so forth. He didn't want to talk about himself. Um, so, you know, that's that's that humility you get when you're raised in Arkansas, I guess. So, and uh, which <laughs> now he's your cousin, I assume. Because, yeah, we, well, yeah, we all show up. The whole state shows up for the fan reunion down there. It's a good time. <laughs> all pulled right. Pork. We got some pulled pork. It's a good time. Mountain Dew and pulled pork. Um, also, I, uh, Oh, some of the things. I got a couple pictures here, and I'm just going to see about your recollections of these and see what you think. Um, all right, I'm going to show this picture, and you tell me what you think of this and what it is. Can you, can you tell what that is? Yeah, it's the first Hall of Fame class. There you go. There you go. 1939. I looked up a lot of stuff on this picture. They actually voted for the Hall of Fame in 36, 37, 38, and 39. There's 10 players here. There's one missing. Do you know who the player missing is? There's one player that's living that was is not pictured. Roy Hobbs. Ty Cobb. Now, he's not in the picture. What I read was Cobb was a, uh, known as being a real uh, tightwad, and he didn't want to spend a night at a hotel, have to pay for a hotel. So he showed up the day of and wasn't there for the team picture. People believe it was because him and Ruth didn't really like each other, but uh, apparently that wasn't so. And we've talked before about Cobb. People have this, uh, you know, stories about him being a horrible person, but also there's good stories and they don't really get into that as much as just kind of making them feel bad. But um, on this picture here, that's Eddie Collins. Let me see if I can get that. Eddie Collins right here. And of course, you know who that is right there. Babe. Yeah, Babe. And then right here, that's uh, Connie Mack, the 50-year uh, manager for the uh, Philadelphia A's. And then right here is uh, Cy Young. Young, great, yeah. The, the great Cy Young. Right behind him, I think these are two of the greatest pitchers ever. That is Walter Johnson right there, the big train. Walter Johnson. I know that's Horace Wagner right there. And this is a uh, a Cub Cardinal uh, legend of... Uh, Pete Alexander, Grover Cleveland Alexander right there. So um, to be honest, the other guys, I'm having trouble remembering they were uh, – oh, right next 
to Johnson is George Sisler, who we've mentioned many times on the show. That's George Sisler. And the other two guys are uh, Nap. I can't say his name. Nap LaJoy. Lashaway. Let's see. I never, I can, that's part of my Arkansas uh, speaking ability. And Tris Speaker was on there. So 11 living players were there, but we're really talking about 50, 1882, all the way up to 1939. And that was the year that Gehrig retired and he actually got voted in the next year. So Gehrig's not on there because he's actually an active player at that time. Anyway, I just wanted to show that and talk some baseball with you. And I got all kinds of little gadgets over here and everything. I grab one every once in a while, show it off, but (laughs) just talking baseball. But what do you think of these pennant races? We're going down the stretch now. And uh, you want to talk about the Cubs first because, Nobody really wants to hear about the Cardinals right now. Yeah, um, I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to other pennant races right now. I don't know who's winning in the American League. I I have heard a rumor that the uh, Royals and the uh, Oakland A's are fighting it out for uh, first place or something like that. I don't know. but Maybe the first uh, pick in the draft. Let, let me uh, get into Cub News and uh, – uh, the only transaction that we had this week is a uh, Boxberger, Brad Boxberger, put on the 15-day IL, gone for the season, uh, probably gone for good. Um, I don't know if you know he'll be picked up by a team next year, but it certainly looks like it may be the end of the road for him because it's in his, in his mid-late 30s. So uh, Keegan Thompson recalled, um, and he's he's just had a very hard time throwing the ball over the plate consistently and his uh, velocity has been up and down all year as he's been up and down all year. So, um, so that's not much help. Um, Last Tuesday uh, while we were recording, uh, we blew out the, uh, the Buccos 14 to one Assad had five innings pitch uh, earned run. Uh, Canario, Alexander Canario, we got from the giants and the Chris Bryant deal who'd been up for three weeks and had one at bat and struck out. He actually got a start at DH. What'd he do? Two for four. He hit a double, a grand slam, five RBIs. That was his first major league hit was the double. And uh, um, has he played since then, Max? I think he got one other start. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, he did. I think he had no first, so. But anyway, uh, also in that game, uh, Suzuki had three hits with a home run. Suzuki's been so hot uh, in August and September. Bellinger, Swanson, homered 14-1. Then on Wednesday, we played the Pirates, and we had to face uh, uh, their best pitcher, uh, Mitch Keller, who, if he was playing for a different team, the poor guy, he's played for the Royals and the Pirates. My gosh, he'd be a a household name if he played for a decent team. But uh, have to turn around for him. Yeah, this game was depressing. We lost seven or thirteen to seven. A steal lost. Um, he he did give up a lot of soft hits that game, but he he wasn't vintage. Uh, Morrell did hit a home run, half hit a grand slam, uh, but after half's grand slam, we uh we kind of folded the tents and uh, the Pirates beat us. Then on Thursday, now these are at home. We lost to the Pirates eight to six. Um, Hendricks pitched good. He had six innings, uh, one earned run. Uh, Swanson hit a home run, but uh. We're in a pennant race and we lose two to two of three to the Pirates at home. That's not good news. Uh, so Friday, the Rockies come to town. Good thing the Rockies come to town because we owe them because they beat us two out of three in Colorado last week. 
Uh, we won the first game six to nothing. Tyone six shutout innings. Suzuki had three hits and a home run. Jared Young got to play at third base and he uh, responded with a home run. And uh, so Saturday we're feeling good. Uh, we're playing the Rockies again. We actually start Stroman and uh, we went six to three. Stroman did uh, give up all three runs in three innings, but Assad came in and threw four shutout innings. Uh, Horner had a couple of hits. Uh, Mastroboni, who has played very well since uh, Madrigal has been out. He's been playing third base. He had two hits. Uh, Morrell hit another home run. And uh, they just kind of opened the, the door a little bit on my commentary when I get there. Um, we cannot... Candelario is on the IL, so we've lost our starting third baseman. Madrigal's on well, the IL. He's back today. So okay, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, Madrigal is out for the season with the uh, hamstring that gave him problems earlier. So we're we're to Master Boney, who Max and I affectionately call Rat Boy because he does have rat-like features. Uh, but he he's he's played well since he's been. Uh, uh, put into the lineup so sunday we complete the sweep with the rockies uh four to three wicks six innings pitch three earned runs wicks is now four and one in six starts um and he's actually uh we're five and ones in game that he has started uh wisdom got the start at third base and he had to go ahead two run home run in the sixth and so uh we sweep the uh rockies we're off monday last night was a game that really hurt uh we blow a six to nothing lead in the six to Atlanta. What is what I, I do temper everything that I say with this, a six, nothing lead against the Braves is not safe. I don't care who's pitching. That's right. That lineup is stacked. They have one of the top slugging percentages, I think second only to the 27 Yankees in major league baseball history. So, you can't have a lead that's safe enough. Uh, Steele started and he threw five innings, uh, gave up three runs, and then we had to go to the bullpen, and the bullpen is just spent. Um, we cough up the lead. Uh, what was really heartbreaking is Suzuki had an easy fly ball in the eighth um, that I wouldn't say he dropped. He just missed. I, I, I didn't. I've been a Cub all my life, and I remember in, what was it, 98 against the Brewers when we're in a wild card race and Brant Brown dropped the fly ball that would have clinched it, and we thought we were going to fall apart. We did make it into the wild card, though. So I do have some hope, but that Brant Brown thing just came right back to mind, what, 25, 30 years later. Um, in the fourth thing, we are up. This is This is – my deal on Ross, and I want Max's uh, input on this after I give my input. In the fourth inning, we're up four to nothing against Atlanta. We're looking good. We have Talkman starting in center field. Start the fourth, uh, or at the bottom of the fourth, we bring in PCA as a defensive replacement center field. I have never seen a defensive replacement come in in the fourth inning. We're up four to nothing against the Braves. Against the Braves. We're probably going to need more runs. They're going to eventually hit us. We bring in PCA, who has not got a hit this year. He looks completely overmatched against Major League hitting or pitching at this point in his career. 
but he's a heck of a defensive center fielder, but he's made errors on the bases. He doesn't seem to be playing with his head in the game. He's just overwhelmed. But anyway, putting him in in the fourth inning, I thought was boneheaded. I thought Ross was showing his team, I don't trust you to get more runs. And I thought it just set the wrong message to the team. It was a panic move. Oh, my gosh, we're up four to nothing against the Braves. What do I do? What do I do? Um, oh, oh, defense for the rest of the game. PCA, get out there. Get out there. Get out there. Even though you can't hit, you're now a hole in the lineup. Talkman can take some walks. He can get some hits every now and then. PCA, go out there and play defense. And it just sent the wrong message. Max, what did you think about that that move? Yeah, it was just – it was boneheaded. There's no reason to not have Talkman get another plate appearance in that game. Um, cause this directly came around. I, I have no doubt if PCA is in center field instead of Bellinger, when Suzuki gets that fly ball, PCA is going to track that down. He's going to call him off or collide with Suzuki. One of the two, you know, which is a little bit better than just dropping a fly ball. It just, all of his managerial decisions that game were weird. Uh, the bullpen usage, it's going to be spotty because all of our best relievers are out, but uh, it, it was just painful. It's more so on the pitching for giving up, you know, seven unanswered runs, you know, after a pretty reasonable start from Justin Steele. And it was just kind of gross, I'd say. And why wasn't our defensive replacement in the outfield in the eighth inning? Because we had to pinch hit for him. Because we had to pinch hit for him. So, um, this is... I know the players love Rossi and they play hard for him. But all year long, he has consistently shown he's not an X's and O's guy. And no, I don't think the answer is Joe Girardi. He he has he has cost us probably twice as many games as he has won us. Now, yeah, they say a manager, you know, really only makes a difference in about 15 games a year um 10 15 games a year the rest you know is just gonna play out the way it's gonna play out um but ross let's say that it's been 15 games this year and i haven't had time to go back and look at this i would say he has lost more than twice as many as he has won for us with his managerial skills and this just looked like a real panicky move our bullpen is very tired and depleted. I don't put that on Rossi mostly. I put that on why didn't Carter Hawkins and Jed Hoyer get some bullpen help at the trade deadline? There's always arms available. Bad teams will take mediocre prospects for, for pretty decent relievers because Hey, this we're going nowhere. We need all the help we can get. Let's see if we can find something somewhere else. We did not pick up any help in the bullpen. And we are already playing with the bullpen that had seen Boxberger gone, who we thought was going to be one of the stalwarts in our bullpen for most of the year. Fulmer had been having arm problems, and he's also gone. And so those are our two veterans that are gone. In 2016, when we had a lead in the sixth inning, uh, we had Carl Edwards Jr. We had Hector Rondon. We had Pedro Stroke, and then we had Araldis Chapman. We won games in the middle of the game because we knew at the end of the game they weren't getting anything against us. 
And I have the opposite feeling with this team. If we're not up big, by the time the starter is out of there, about the sixth, seventh inning, if he has a good start, our bullpen is good for about three runs, four runs a night. And that's what we've, we've, we've kind of proven. Max, what do you think of this? Luke Little has maybe the best stuff in our bullpen. Certainly from the left side, certainly more wicked stuff than Smiley. Mm-hmm. Why is he putting these players out there who are obviously spent? And Luke Little, I think, has spent has pitched three innings in the two and a half weeks he's been up. And he has shown he is almost unhittable, especially against left-handers. What do you think? Mm, I don't you didn't mention his blow up outing. I think he had one really bad outing where he walked like three guys or something crazy like yeah. that. And it's just it's we've seen it the entire year. It's an over-reliance on veterans. You know, you feel obligated. Smiley started out the year in the rotation. You feel obligated to let him keep pitching. You know, it goes back to like even guys like Hosmer and Mancini were on the roster for, you know, way too long. And if we had banked more wins at the beginning of the year, we wouldn't have this problem now where we're, you know, fighting to get in. Yeah. And quick score update, uh, Talkman and Hap homered, so we're up three to one. Uh, so, woo, uh, Tyone is pitching those, so don't expect that to last too much. Um, Six shutout innings against the Rockies. Hmm. I mean, the Braves are a little better than the Rockies, but... <laughs> yeah, and as far as the bullpen goes, uh, they did add Quas at the deadline, but that's one arm. You, you need depth at that point, and it's just, it's really problematic when all of your depth for the season is out, basically. You didn't even mention Hughes, which closed games for us, you know, post-deadline last year. Or Hegan Thompson, who was, you know, outstanding out of the bullpen last year. Both those guys have been, you know, injured or ineffective. You'd even lump guys like Estrada in there. Guys who, oh, they traded away Manny Rodriguez, who was a good depth option at Iowa. And now they're kind of suffering for it. Uh, as far as the deadline goes, we got to remember that they didn't actually have a playoff spot at the deadline, if I'm remembering correctly. They were like a few games out still. So... You know, I think if the deadline is a week or two later and they've secured that playoff position there, you know, they show that they could play this well. I think they do add a lot more as far as the bullpen goes. They may even add another bench bat. It's just tough when everything is so uncertain. You look at, you know, some teams that bought and they're out of it. You just you don't want to be one of those teams. So I get that part, but uh, you didn't even talk about David Ross's sack bunts, which they drive me absolutely wild. There's no reason to sack bunt. Uh, he had Master Boney lay down a sack bunt, who was three for three on the night at that He's point. it up, yes. Who was, you know, slapping line drives all over the place. You have him sack bunt with Jan Gomes on first base, who runs like a, an Me. elephant. <laughs> yeah, like one of you guys. Oh. Just a lot, of, a lot of confusing things happening in that game. And I don't want to sound like I... I listened to podcasts and I listened to them today and everybody, the world is falling apart. Okay. That's myopic. And I can get myopic just as myopic as the next guy, but I'm going to tell you why in a moment, I don't think that the world is falling apart, but I do think Rossi was safe. His job was safe for next year. After this game, they're at least going to have some discussions they're going to at least have some discussions on, you know, Andy Green is a good bench coach. He needs to rely more on Andy Green. 
Andy Green has managed probably, I don't know, 500 games in his in his career. Andy Green would never put in a defensive replacement in the fourth inning. Nobody would except for Rossi. But anyway, for the week, we were four and three. So we did have a winning week. And these are the. It does not feel like it. It, it, yeah, it doesn't feel like it, but we were. Luckily, no one is just taking a bite out of this and saying, we want the wild card. So this is where we stand. This is up to the last minute. We are a game and a half behind Arizona. Well, Philadelphia is up there. Forget that. But second wild card spot belongs to Arizona. We're a game and a half behind them. So that's going to be hard to catch because we have five games left. And I think they have four. Um, they're Most playing of the which white... are against like the White Sox. Yeah, and they're playing the White crappy Sox. Teams. Well, wait a minute. They're at home against Houston, and Houston is playing for their playoff life. So it. Houston mm. was probably going to bring their probably Houston's going to bring their best when they go to Arizona. And I like Houston hitters in that ballpark because the ball flies there. So I do like. I, I mean, the White Sox. Let's get real. But I do like that they have to finish, even though it's at home, with Houston because Houston, their fans are going to travel to Arizona. They're going to make some noise. And I like the Houston hitters in that ballpark. So something strange can happen there. We are one game up on Miami, who lost the first game of the doubleheader against the Mets today. They have two more against the Mets, and then they finish off with three against the Pirates. The Pirates aren't rolling over for anybody no. the pirates are playing very tough mm -hmm. baseball and like i said if they have to face mitch keller and i haven't looked this up yet mitch keller is one of the best pitchers that nobody's heard of um he's got some nasty stuff uh the reds are a game and a half behind us and they have uh two with the guardians and maybe just one with the guardians and they, they do finish off with the Cardinals. So, come on, Cardinals. Don't let those Reds win. Um, <laughs> oh, we, we we love to beat the Reds. Now we, We'll give them what we got, but we're so beat up right now. Hey, can I ask two questions? I got two little points I was going to make. I And I heard what you said about Ross. I, but, you know, I think you guys, from what was picked in the preseason, ha have, over, have achieved what was expected and beyond. Now, I didn't know, was that because of Ross or despite of Ross? Uh, I, and, I'll get into that in just a minute. The, okay, the other thing I have is I don't like this uh, schedule we have that we're playing everybody. I I'm not, I wasn't, but you know what? That's baseball. That's okay. But at least kind of clear it up where you're playing more divisional games at the end of the year where you're not you know, like teams playing the White Sox and the A's and the Royals over here in the National League. I'd love it if the Cubs were playing. Well, if you were playing them, more of the Brewers and the Reds and all that. That would be we are playing even more exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but just playing, you know, in the division more at the end of the year, maybe when down the, the stretches and stuff. I, I just think that would be better. So maybe they can clear that up. That's all I had to say on that. Okay. Well, let me throw in this because technically they're in it. San Diego and San Francisco are four and a half behind, so technically they're still at it. Mathematically. And their chances are very slim. Too many teams to jump to. Just yeah, that would be yeah. Why are not me and Max depressed? I mean, we are to a degree, but I'll give my. I'm uh, always depressed, so nothing's <laughs> changed. I'll give my two cents and then let Max go. Um, 
of the teams that I've mentioned, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, the Reds, uh, the Padres, and the Giants. Uh, we're lumped in that team of wild card contenders right now this season. If we don't make it, I'm okay with it because I I just think our pitching is too shot to, to make any noise in the playoffs. I'm okay with it. It's been a good year. We were picked to win 78 games. We're going to, if we pick up a couple more victories, we're going to have 84, 85 victories. That's very good. Um, very good compared to what the code picked us. When you look at the teams that are in that mix, the Diamondbacks aren't going to spend a lot of money in free agency to better their team. The Marlins aren't going to spend any money to better their team. The uh, the Reds aren't going to spend money to better their team either. They may pick up somebody, but you know they're going to rely on their young people. The Padres are looking to cut about fifty million off their payroll. So of those teams. Us and the Giants are the only teams that are poised to make significant uh, changes in the offseason for the better. And we have an edge over the Giants because we have a great farm system. We have a lot of trade chips and we have a lot of money to spend on free agents. And I made this point well before the deadline and it's still been in the back of my mind. But I'm I will predict that the Cubs trade for Juan Soto this year. He has one more year left. He doesn't want to play for the Padres. They need to trim payroll. And we've got pieces in the farm system that they could use. And big trades like this in the past have proven you don't have to give up your top draft pick, your, your, your top prospects for these players are trying to dump. If we can come up with some decent fringe prospects, we can probably be in a good position to get Juan Soto. Is he going to play right field? Because at the time I was saying we could trade Suzuki for Soto. No, Suzuki, aside from him not catching the, the fly ball, has really come into his own. Juan Soto could be a DH. Mm -hmm. Juan he Soto, DH. yeah, yeah, I'm talking about for us. Juan Soto may be able to play left field or left field better than Ian play Happ. Play left right field. Now. Yeah. Play. <laughs> That's what Happ is doing this year, playing left field after winning a gold glove. He's just driving me bananas. So I think we're in a real good position to be a, a not just a, a wild card contender next year, but to really be the team to beat in this division and move up there with the upper echelon teams if we do what we say we're going to do, spend some money, make some trades in free agency. That's why I'm not depressed. Would it, would it be cool to make the playoffs this year? Hey, yeah, a few extra game, baseball games would be cool. We could brag about it, so on and so forth. But if we don't, I really don't care because we're not a World Series caliber team this year. We are a good team who could be poised to be a great team next year. Mm -hmm. And your point about Ross, I'll give you a stat that is going to just kind of lay it out there. What's our run differential? Do you have any idea? JJ, take a guess. It, it's, I believe you guys are plus like 
fifty, aren't you? Like plus. We're plus one hundred. That plus one hundred, plus one hundred two right now, technically. Oh, okay. Plus one hundred two. That's all right. The team that we're one of the teams we're battling is the Marlins. Do you know what the run differential differential is? Uh, going going into today, oh, negative forty five. Oh, negative fifty one after they lost. Negative fifty one. Also, the Diamondbacks have a negative run differential. Yeah. So those are teams who make sound managerial decisions to win close games. We don't win close games because we do goofy things like this last game and we lose by, would we lose two runs? A run. Just one run. run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a close game. We should have run. We should have won. That's the difference. And, you know, I, I said this earlier in the year. What makes a good manager, and they're not magic. Not every move is going to work, but they make the next right move. And I don't see Ross doing that enough. Greg Council so, might be magic, but no one else. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. Max, what, what are your thoughts about this year, whether we make the playoffs or not? Yeah, I think regardless of what happens, how the next five games play out, I think people will look back fondly on this year. I mean – I, some projection plays like I think Fangraphs had us at like 76 wins. Uh, some places had us below the Pirates in the Central, and obviously that didn't happen. So you can't help but feel good about that. Obviously, if they miss the playoffs now, it would be a little bit disappointing, considering at one point they had like a four-game lead or something on the third wild card spot. But I mean, this was a roster no one predicted to be successful, and they, you know, overperformed a little bit. Uh, some guys had some really good years. And, you know, Jed Hoyer did deliver on his promise. He said, this isn't going to be a rebuild. And he was right. Uh, if you look at when the Cubs sold off in 21, up till second half of 2022, when they started actually winning again, because the Cubs actually had above a 500 record post-trade deadline last year, they only really sucked for about one season. Yeah. And compared to, you know, you look at the Tigers who have been rebuilding for like a decade now, the Royals have, you know, kind of sucked since they won the World Series. Things could be a lot worse. And they've got a great farm system. You know, we didn't even mention this. The Tennessee Smokies won their championship game yesterday. So yeah, for the, it. I think the third year, the third year in the past five years, the Cubs have had an affiliate win a championship. So it just shows how great the farm system is and town's percolating. It's funny you mentioned the Juan Soto trade that you think will happen. I didn't want to outright say that, but I do think they're going to make a really big trade, whether it's for Pete Alonso, Juan Soto. They've got this a crap ton of depth. They've shown that they're willing to trade prospect depth with the trade deadline. You know, they've got the best rental bat, so they're willing to part with guys who are, you know, decent. Obviously, I don't think anyone within the top five is getting moved besides maybe like Owen Casey. Um, maybe San Diego wants him back. He was acquired for you, Darvish. So I, I, that's That was the name that I thought of. That is the top I would give up would be Owen Casey because uh, he's he looks good, but we don't have room for him. So mm. we're going to have to move him sometime. And yeah, San Diego's probably thinking, gosh, he looks pretty good now. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I will say on the side, the San Diego's going to want, you know, a, probably a pre-arb player. If you look at like the Francisco Lindor trade, uh, typically it's like, Pre-yard player plus fringe-ish, maybe top 50, top 100 prospect plus some depth guys. So I, I think, honest to God, Morell is getting traded this offseason, which sucks. Everybody loves him. 
but he has no position on this team. He's positionless. He can play the outfield. His best position is probably second base, which Nico Horner has is going to put up, you know, a, above a 4.5 or season for the second year in a row, which is absolutely crazy to think about. You know, my favorite player, my goat, if you will, you know, he's on my Mount Rushmore. It's Ernie Banks and then Bree Jenkins, Nico Horner, and then uh, hopefully PCA one day. So uh, a lot to be excited about. Yeah. And if, if it is for Soto, uh, Morel's been playing DH mostly. So, and what, what amazes me, Soto, who's not happy in San Diego, when you look at his, uh, his statistics, he grades out to the eighth best hitter in baseball. Really? Yeah. And people think, oh, gosh, he's having a terrible year. Yeah. By his standards, <laughs> he is, but he's still the eighth best hitter in baseball. And is he even 25 yet? I think he's he'll be 25 in his walk year, I think. Oh, my gosh. Goodness. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just guys don't hit free agency that young anymore. It's absolutely crazy. You put him in the middle of your lineup. Look what happens. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't think it's just him. I yeah. More more moves coming. Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to look at two hitters and uh, a couple pitchers and i know that uh jed made the trip to japan to look at the uh japanese sensation yamamoto yeah and uh i i can see a scenario where we make a strong pitch for otani and we make a strong pitch for the uh um yamamoto and it always helps but we do have a Japanese player on the team True. that there's, there'd be a comfort level there. And we are a team on the rise. I mean, I want to resign mm-hmm. Bellinger and I want to pick up two more hitters. I think we can have a dominant lineup. You know, people are talking about, you know, Matt Chapman coming over, um, playing third base. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Could you imagine yeah. our infield Bellinger at first Horner at second Swanson and Chapman. Wow. That's yeah, you better good. hit the ball the outfield. Yeah. We're piecing through that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Max, thank you for joining us. And uh we got got five more games. What's the score right now? Still three uh, to one. I think it's still three to one. And the Marlins Mets game is tied. Okay. All right. So not <laughs> bad news. All right. So anyway. We will see you next time. Yep, hopefully the next time I'm back, we'll have a playoff spot. JJ, Max had to leave. Actually, I kicked him off here because I forgot that we had done Cardinal news. Yeah, we're still around. Oh, <laughs> what's going on in Cardinal land? Here, well, there, it's not been a good season. And I think the Cubs uh, have much better than us this year. Congratulations to the Cubs. Um, I think, though, we've got... In our minor leagues, you talked about the Cubs minor leagues. We've got some stars coming. Uh, our teams, I know the Springfield Cardinals went to the playoffs, so they're doing pretty good. I don't know if they how well they've done. I haven't really kept track of the minor league teams, but we had two straight winning weeks, and this week we kind of went back to normal for us. We were two and five after the Wayno win last Monday. Everything's kind of just we what we were eliminated on Tuesday. The Brewers beat us seven to three. And after that game, anybody who had any ailments, they just went ahead and let them rest. Like Arenado, he went on the IR. And uh, Alec Burleson tried to steal third and broke and fractured his thumb. 
he's out. Uh, different players taking care of things. Dylan Carlson had uh, uh, surgery on his uh, ankle. O'Neal, like always, seems to be hurt. So that's going on. But Tuesday, we were eliminated. He's coming back. Uh -huh. we, I don't know if we can get rid of him, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe he stopped hitting the weights, worked more on the hit and run and striking out less and uh, bring him back for one more year, showcase him. Whitey Herzog swore that during the 80s when players really started hitting the weights, that instead of hitting the weights, they need to go out and have a hot dog and a beer and get some fat in in their body so they're not so muscle-bound. Yeah, and, and there's been people – uh, you know, uh, let's be honest. I'm a husky guy. I don't. I never pulled. You are muscles. a little bit, a little on the husky side. I <laughs> look at that. You're Jack. I'm not Jack. I'm husky. But uh, the game we lost on Tuesday, we were eliminated. But on that game, Craig Council won his 700th game, and me and you both have an admiration for Craig Council. He's the uh, winning. He's uh, managed more games for the Brewers than any other. Uh, manager 1,321. So Craig Council uh, becoming a legend up there in Milwaukee if it isn't already. And uh, like I said, Alec Burleson uh, fractured his thumb. Wednesday, we lost eight to two. Uh, Dylan Carlson had surgery on his, uh, he had surgery. I'm not quite sure what his was on. So we've just got the like a, the walking wounded. We're bringing up guys, letting them play, get a little playing time. This uh, Palacio kid, I really like watching him. He's enthusiastic, and he comes up with a home run here and there. Uh, but basically, we were playing with, like, some spare parts right now and looking at some of these pitchers and everything. Uh, but getting back to the Brewers, the Brewers took three out of four against us, and uh, they're just a lot better than us. And that pitching staff is tough. And I tell you what, I know the Braves – and the Dodgers are the front runners for the uh, National League pennant, but uh, I wouldn't count the Brewers out. They made some moves. They got that Carlos Santana and Josh Donaldson at third base. Um, maybe they could be the Brewers, like the Phillies were last year, give everybody a tough fight. You never know. Uh, then we played the Padres, and the Padres are still in it, like you talked about before. And they beat us uh, four to two on Friday night. But we beat them in 11 innings, 5-2. to two, And it's always good to be a spoiler. I love beating, uh, being a spoiler and getting some wins there. And um, we lost Sunday 12-2 to two and just got blown out. But I was looking at some statistics. And by the way, I've got a Jordan Walker uh, Springfield Cardinal t-shirt right there showing that off in the background. He has done really well this year. I know it seems like as the season progresses, he's getting better and better. He's hitting a 274. Uh, he has 106 hits. He missed he missed about a month going back to the minors. But I tell you what, this kid is looking really good. He's got uh, his walks to strikeout ratio. It's a little much, but I think as he gets more experience, that's going to tighten up a little bit. And uh, OPS of uh, 791. So uh, and he's learning. And he's getting better in the outfield too. He's naturally a third baseman, but he's actually got a higher batting average than Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Contreras. Um, he's got uh, less hits than them, but per at bats, he's, he's doing very good. And, um, anyway, I just like this kid. I think he's the future of the team when like you're, uh, oh, that kid you got in center field. That's the defensive backup. He's kind of overmatched right now in the big leagues. He's hitting about a 174, but he's playing a real good shortstop defensively. He's doing a real good job. 
So he's, I think he's got a couple of dingers too. So he's coming along and it just looks like they're passing the torch from some of these guys like Wayno and, and Goldie and Arenado and these guys are coming up, although Arenado still got a long time to play. Uh, and then um, we were off Monday and then we won last night against the Brewers who, you know, uh, you know, they, they clinched the pennant last night. Uh, so uh, they're going to be the top seed in the central, but uh they're a tough team no matter who's out there playing. And Craig Council always puts a good team together. And uh, Saturday, I'm going to the Cardinal game. And uh, it's Wayne. I'm kind of saying goodbye to Wayno. He's got a concert. Uh, for all the fans out there, uh, the Cardinal Hall of Fame, every Saturday home game, they have a player that goes to the Hall of Fame. And this week, it's two to four. And it's going to be Todd Pagnazzi signing autographs. So if you get a chance, go over. You get one item signed. It's nice to go back in the Hall, Cardinal Hall of Fame and look around. And then Tom Pagnazzi is going to be there. And I'm going to try, Vince, to go over to the uh, museum and see the uh, San Luis Browns uh, exhibit. I'm, so hopefully we'll have some video of that up very soon. So uh, that's my Saturday right there, kind of a nutshell. And that is Cardinal news. And we've got, we've got 69 wins. And I remember around the All-Star game, I heard on the radio all the time, this team ain't going to get 70 wins. Well, we're one away. Now, I know that's nothing. We're last place. We're probably going to get the fifth pick in the draft, but it's something to look forward to. And I'm not sad. Hey, you know, uh, that happens to everybody. You can't win World Series every year. And uh, a lot of teams, it's just going to be heartbreaking at the end of the year. But the Cardinals, we kind of, it's been a long-suffering year, and it's not going to hurt so bad at the end. You know, the Band-Aid was ripped off about two months ago. So that's Cardinal news. The uh, there's a few things with the Cardinals that uh, give me some uh, optimism for them, and there's a few things that give me some concern. The optimism is they're gonna have they lost ninety yet? I mean, they're gonna lose ninety games this year. Oh yeah, uh, ninety two. If they win seventy, they had would have lost. Okay, 92. all right. With the amount of injuries that the Cardinals have had, which have been tremendous this year. And um, I, I think one of the um, general managers' oversights this year was that as far as uh, reliable backups, he relied too much on youngsters. Another veteran or two off the bench would have, oh, you yeah. know, maybe someone you keep a triple A in case of injuries you can bring. Uh, a veteran up and be a, a good presence. So that 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 is a managerial thing. And I'm not talking about, you know, Ollie, I'm talking about upper management. Uh, they they did not do the best of constructing um, this roster, the 40-man roster. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, they thought they were going to be very competitive this year. Maybe they didn't need it because last year they didn't need a whole lot of depth, you know, as far as veteran presence. Um what what gives me optimism with the Cardinals is let's say they lose, they go 62 and 90 this year. Um, if they're 10 games better, then um, that would be, excuse me, 72 and 90. If they're 10 games better, that would be 82 and 80. So, if this is a healthy team, could they possibly have been in the thick of it up until maybe a week or two ago? Maybe. Um, 
but what is concerning is Miles Michaelis sucks this year. Uh, about seven wins. Yeah, he's only got about seven wins. Yeah, and he has had he's been terrible since May. Um, I they need three legitimate starters. They need a stud, and they need two others. And I think they've even been vocal about this that we need some starting pitching. So I think the Cardinals have to be serious players in the Blake Snell, Aaron Nola deal. The two problems that I see with signing one of the top line pitchers is this. Number one, this team is on a downward trajectory. And I think Nola and Snell are going to go to a team who they feel like has a shot at winning soon. That's going to hurt the Cardinals. The second thing is, and I I think that maybe they're getting over this delusion, the players are just going to want to come here because it's baseball heaven. And as I've told people, you have two losing seasons. This is no longer baseball heaven. Fans are fans no matter where you go. We're mm-hmm. fickle. We And I see the negative comments as well as the positive comments all over Facebook, all over social media. I hear the local people in St. Louis talk about it. It's a lot of negativity, and it comes across as, oh, uh, the soccer team's really good. Uh, let's just become soccer fans now. Or the Blues, you know, Blues are coming up, you know. Why waste my money to go down there and watch these guys because they suck? Fans are fans. And you start having some a, a few rough seasons, and it's not baseball heaven. I've seen Cardinal fans boo their own players before. I've seen Cardinal fans pelt the field with crap whenever Mark McGuire got kicked out of the game. Oh, yeah, that's right. This, this, this almost sanctimonious attitude that a lot of fans have that we are so much better and smarter than other fans is just like the rest of the world doesn't see it that way and i think that the cardinals since probably i don't know uh arenado was the last they are not the most attractive location for big time free agents first of all it's a small market and if you have any aspirations of doing uh, making extra money by doing endorsements and stuff like that, you're going to L.A., you're going to Chicago, you're going to New York, you're going to Houston, you're going to Atlanta. You're not coming to St. Louis. So I do see that it's going to require that the Cardinals open up the pocketbooks like they've never done before. They're going to have to outbid people for NOLA, for Snell, whomever they really target to be that stud at the front. They're going to have to outbid someone. And that's what scares me about the Cardinals. They've never showed me that they're willing to outbid another team for a free agent. So my uh, my thoughts on that is um, I remember years we won the World Series. There'd be in June, there'd be people irate. This team stinks, da, 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 da. I mean, you get you always get that anyway. If it could be a 15 to 20 percent or these people talking all the time. And I say, if they want to leave, let them go. We got plenty of fans. We'll be all right. And they can complain all they want. There's people. There was that year where we barely got in the playoffs and we ended up winning it. And then same people. And I have so I know some of these people. They were jumping on the bandwagon at the end. I knew it. I knew it. 
Oh, they go back and forth, back and forth. And I like, I hate it when Cardinal fans, some of the fans I know, brag too much because I'm like, oh no, you've upset the baseball gods. Just keep it down, enjoy what we got, and ride it out. This year, the big thing was our starters were terrible. Our bullpen was taxed. And I seen a stat one time, like we lost 38 games that we were leading like an eighth inning. If we won half of those, we could have been in the race. But to be honest with you, it's over now and you can kind of look back and we, I just don't think we can compete with the Braves and the Dodgers. We're just, we could have showed up, maybe, maybe won a game, but those teams are just so much better on paper than we are. So um, that that's just, and there's an ebb and flow to baseball too. But some of the best moves we made were moves we didn't make. We way overpaid for David Price. And then a team came along at the last minute and gave him more money. Uh, Albert Pujols, I thought we gave him a fair deal. One of the biggest contracts in Cardinal history. And he went to the Angels. Oh, that hurt. But you know what? It turned out to be one of the best things that didn't happen to us was getting Albert Pujols those years. And he came back and he appreciated the hospitality, and we loved him. And the Angel fans never loved him as much as we did. They'd have to fly. They'd have to talk about, oh, he's only so many home runs away. St. Louis, there would have been a countdown on the wall, and he had a statue out there with Stan. But, you know, sometimes the best things. Uh, Jason Hayward, I know he did good for y'all, but I, I think it worked out for the best for us and you guys, too. Sometimes the best moves are that, that work out for everybody. We, so, we won a World Series with him, so we're not. Yeah, that's right. And good for, I mean, good for y'all. It worked out for y'all and it worked out for us too. Oscar Traveris, the death of Oscar Traveris. Oh, it's just got a, a rippling effect through the years. And um, it was just such a sad thing. I don't know if he would have been the player we thought he was going to be, but it sure did have to make us go get other players. Um, I don't know if we're going to get uh, either one of those top two guys with all the Yankees and the other teams bidding on them. I just don't know if we can compete with that. But the years we did good in the playoffs, we had any uh, leaders. They weren't the big-name guys. Woody Williams, Jeff Supon, those guys weren't the big-name guys. But like Kyle, uh, Kyle Gibson, he's an inning-leader. He lives in St. Louis. Uh, he's got a lot of friends on the team. I just heard an interview with him, and he'd be a guy. I'm not saying he's an ace or nothing. But he's a solid pitcher that could come in and eat a lot of innings and save your bullpen a little bit on the end there. Plus, we got a lot. We're going to have to make some decisions on our, our players. Is O'Neill, Lars, and Walker our three outfielders? What are we going to do with Dylan Carlson? Are we going to get rid of him? He's hurt now. We got three catchers. You know, are we going to, Herrera can't stay in Memphis forever. Uh, Luca Baker, uh, we got goals from him at first, but Luca Baker, you know, he tore it up in the minors. So maybe we can package some of these guys and get a young a young pitcher that's uh, promising or something like that. Uh, do I think we're going to turn over and win the World Series? Anything's possible, but I doubt it. But uh, I'm happy. I'm I, This year was kind of a wake-up call, and uh, I'm optimistic about next year. I think we with, with this expanded playoffs and everything, anybody can turn it around in a year and, and at least have a shot at getting in the playoffs. So we'll see. It, it, you know, it's not the end of the world. See, I, I kind of think we're in a different era of baseball. Um, you can have your innings eaters, but you need two dominant starters at the top. If you're going to go three starters in the class, you have to have swing and miss guys at the top two positions. Um, and defensively, um, 
the Cubs are as strong up the middle as any team in baseball. With Gomes, we Swanson's going to win the Gold Glove. Nico is probably going to win the whole Gold Glove. He's probably going to be a finalist. And when we have Bellinger or PCA in center field, we are so strong up the middle. But when we have a pitcher, and we don't have strikeout pitchers, but when we have a pitcher or, or our staff, whenever we strike out 10 or more in a game, that's 10 less balls that are put in play that is not going to see the glove of Hap. And I, it sounds weird. I'm talking about a gold glover like he can't feel, but he's terrible this year. Um, that's that's a, it was a just ball. a glitch. It could yeah. be a glitch, just maybe a glitch this year. I don't know. That that's a ball that's not going to go to um, wisdom. It's a ball that's not going to go to whomever. And that's how teams are winning this year. And since the Royals uh, proved that if you have the strikeout pitchers um, and you can minimize the number of outs that have to be made in the field, you can just be a decent offensive a solid team, put the bat on the ball and run the bases. Um, but if you have that kind of pitching, you can compete. And I, I think your innings eaters, you're looking at your third, fourth, and fifth starter. I see the the Cardinals, the Cubs too, let's face it, but the Cardinals really need to overpay for, for one of these pitchers. That's it'd be, it'd be nice if we did, but I, I could see the Yankees or the Red Sox or, Something like that. And I think they're going to make a run in it. And a lot of my friends say this. Ah, oh, the Cardinals always, oh, we were second. We came in second for that player or something like that. Uh, uh, Team Kent's is about a year away. He's the only really gold star pitcher we got in the minors that I know of. And the other guys are doing fine. They might be bullpen guys. But the Royals teams had that bullpen of the three-headed monster. They just would get to the fifth inning, and then those three guys would come in and just mow them down. They just were dominant. Yeah, they, 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 from the start of the game to the end, it was flames. It was, yeah, it was, that was, that was just fun. Two great, two great seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, another reason why I'm not depressed is because this week on Monday, I listened to the latest episode of DMDR with Jeremy Connor. And Jeremy always lifts my spirits. Comes a time in every man's life when he needs some advice on relationships. You need to listen to the podcast DMDR, which stands for Dating, Marriage, Divorce, Remarriage, from my good friend Jeremy Connor, the Dr. Phil of the Boot Hill. You can find DMDR on Spotify or whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcasts. Wasn't that great? <laughs> oh, yeah. JJ. We both decided we were going to watch the documentary on Netflix, The Saint of Second Chances. I did not know I would like it this much. What were your thoughts, just to start? I was open-minded. I'm a baseball fanatic. I'd watch anything baseball, but I tell you what, it was so well done, Vince, with the with the looking at him as a you know the the, the different people in the different age, you know, as a child and then as an adult. And going back in time and the history lesson we got, but just like all great movies, I think it's uh, real or documentaries. It's really about relationships. Baseball was a major story, of course, but it's about family and relationships too. And I, man, I tell you what, I laughed out loud probably four times, and I'll be honest, I'm kind of a crier, and I cried a couple of times. And it was it was it was a beautiful it was a beautiful documentary. 
I squirted tears. It was, it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> and I liked, I liked the beginning, how they talked a little bit. Now this is not really about Bill Beck. It's about his son. And I didn't write his son's name down. What's his name? Mike, 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 Mike. I, it's about his son, Mike. And it, it wasn't Bill's only child, but Mike is the one who kind of went into baseball. And he went into baseball basically so he could spend time with his dad. And I liked what he said about growing up in their house. If there was a fire, the only thing they had to grab was not the family photos, was not the money in the safe. It was the idea box. Tell everybody what the idea box was, because I'd never heard of this. Awesome. No, me neither. It was just a, a really nice wooden box that if they had any idea of what they would do if they had a team or promotional thing or anything like that, they would write it down and stick it in the box and then go through it every once in a while. And that that object carried throughout the whole documentary. Yeah. And, uh, on matchbook covers, uh, just a slither of paper, something might be back of an envelope. Up, back and just thrown in there. And uh, oh, it was probably that big, like a small, you know, little bag or something like that, it, you know, about that size. For those of you who are not familiar with Bill Beck, uh, Bill Veck's father was an executive for the Chicago Cubs, and Bill Veck's dream was to own the Chicago Cubs. Um, Bill Veck started working for his father in the Cubs organization as a young man, and a lot of people don't know this, that Bill Veck was responsible. He came up with the idea of putting ivy along the brick, and there's a wonderful picture that they show in the documentary. Bill Veck actually planted ivy. He didn't just say, oh, we need to groundskeep it. No, he actually planted ivy. That was so cool. And he wanted to own the Chicago Cubs. That was his dream. That's what he always wanted to do. But he was never able to purchase the Cubs. And so he purchased the uh, Cleveland Indians. And uh, he purchased the St. Louis Browns. And he was responsible for the Eddie Goodell uh, deal, the uh the little guy with the toy bat you got him up there. He also had a thing when he was with the Browns, a documentary didn't get into this. He had a night where the fans would vote what the manager should do, bunt, hit and run or whatever. And so the manager would, would, would do what the fans voted. Bill Veck was not liked by the rest of uh, Major League Baseball because he didn't see it so much as a sporting competition he saw this as entertainment. And so he wanted people to come to the game and be entertained. Of course, nothing's more entertaining than winning. But if you can do something where if your team loses, but you know, I am kind of glad I went to that game because I got to see that little guy go up there with the toy bat. That was kind of cool, you know. <laughs> he did stuff like that. And he got to a point as an older man, he, he, uh, who, he who had he tried to purchase in the 60s oh, uh, a, a player uh, no no he, he he wasn't owning a team anymore he was trying to purchase i can't remember what team he was trying to purchase but he was kind of shut out from baseball and then i think it was 1975 
he purchased the White Sox at the absolutely wrong time in history because Bill Beck was not a millionaire coming into baseball with all this money when free agency was starting. He was yeah. the opposite. He was coming into this to make a living in baseball as a baseball owner. So as other teams are starting to pay these astronomical salaries for free agency, Bill Vett couldn't afford to do that. But he did figure out, I can get players on one-year deals before they hit free agency, and maybe I can strike some gold. And he did in 77. He had a team that had a Richie Zisk. Um, Rob oh, Barr. Huh? Ralph Gar, yeah, yeah, yeah Ralph Gar. Um, he put together a pretty decent team that was hanging into it until the end of the summer, and that's when I first started watching White Sox games on TV. Stone when, was on that team too, wasn't he? Steve Stone yes, was Steve on Stone that team. Was, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so when Bill Vec, uh was the owner of the Angels, he got his son Mike to work for him, and. What did Mike show up wearing his first day when he went to work at Comiskey didn't, Park? Didn't he have flip-flops on? Was it flip-flops or something like that? He was kind what, of a hippie guy. He played yeah, music and what stuff. His, what his shirt said, though. No, I do not. His shirt said, owner's kid. <laughs> and it got a negative yeah. response from everybody in the building. No. Oh, I had to hire the owner's kid. So he figured what he needed to do was he needed to work so hard and justify his being there. And basically he became the guy who was thinking outside the box because his dad who made a living thinking outside the box was busy owning this team. So now Mike was coming up with these ideas of, out, of, of outside the box of how to entertain these fans. Uh, JJ, do you remember some of the things that he did? Oh, yeah, he had. Well, we'll get into it probably a little bit later, but he had his dad always said a good idea. If you got a good idea, that's one. Let's turn it up to 10. And if we don't get arrested, that's a that's a good thing. Well, they had a disco night where disco was kind of getting big in the mid, mid 70s, a positive disco night where they had disco dancers and people in the crowd were all dressed up. He had a. Uh, Little people dressed like Elvis running the bases, uh, all kinds of neat ideas. Uh, the fireworks to this day, Kaminsky has the firework uh, scoreboard, and that year they were so good. Mike ran around and did everything. He had to like re reset the the uh, the scoreboard, and then we're hitting so many home runs. They didn't have time to set them off sometimes because there were so many home runs being hit that year. Oh, but the the fireworks scoreboard. He had that fireworks scoreboard in 77. They hit so many home runs, he didn't have time to, to reload it. And Vince, what I took away from that was I thought if my dad owned the Cardinals, oh, it'd be great. I could go down and hang out with the players, watch the games, have fun. That guy worked 16 to 17 hours a day, worked his butt off. And uh, there's video, or part of the story is him in there cleaning the toilets with toothbrushes. Yeah, and, the urinal. And, in the in the urinal one of my favorite things was and he wanted to please his dad he came up with all these ideas one of the things is they wanted to sign chet lemon and they like he's gonna free agency started in 74 uh how are we gonna keep him and 
under the scoreboard, there was a space and uh, Mike came up with the idea of basically luxury boxes. And from the money they made from that luxury box, which people were just happy to have these great seats and get a little prime rib and some beer, uh, they were able to keep Jet Lemon and sign them. Uh, I thought that was genius. Some of the things they came up with, which we use to this very day, and you get to see that in this documentary. I some of the other things was like the uh, the nun who gave massages. Yes. Um, the shower in center field. Um, just some very innovative things that made it fun to go to a White Sox game. The White Sox have always been the bastard stepchild in Chicago. It's always been a Chicago Cub town. And White Sox fans are the South Side working class, gritty type people. And so Vec fit in really well. He was a very popular owner, and Mike Vec was very popular until Disco Demolition Night. And as JJ said, they had a disco appreciation night, which went over good. And then they found out that there was a DJ in Chicago. Disco was starting to die. And there was a rock DJ who was hoping it would die. And he had been championing. It's like a shock jock championing, you know, the death of disco and everything. So they piggybacked on that. They had this DJ come in. And what they decided to do is if you brought in a disco record, you could get in for 99 cents. It was a double header against the Tigers. And I remember watching that. I, I I started watching the first game because it was a twenty-nine double header. And I was so excited because I loved watching double headers because back in those days, there was no break in between. You played one game, you had a 20 minute break, you had, you had the second game. There was none of this, clear the stadium, bring more in. They were turning people away. But these people were not baseball fans. They were disco haters who were coming to the ballpark. A so, wild crowd. Yeah, they weren't watching the game. They just kept chanting disco sucks through the whole first game. Now, Vince, when you watched this game, could you tell it was kind of unruly? And could you hear them chanting that when you were watching this? I, I don't remember it being unruly, but I was a kid. So I, I wasn't... It probably was something as an adult I would have picked up on, but I didn't pick, to me, it was just, hey, first game, you know? Yeah. And they're, oh, they're going to blow up records. Who cares, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so they brought out the records, blew them up, and I like how Mike Beck said, and I'm thinking, oh, this is nice. What could go wrong? And oh. he starts looking around, and he sees fans coming on the film field. Oh, that's what can go wrong. So they were scaling the the foul pole. They were coming down the foul pole, even. Yeah, and these these weren't baseball fans. Uh, they were the last remnants of the hippie generation. I guess we can call them that. You know, you're, you're stoners. Yeah. You know, who became heavy metal stoners. You know, <laughs> the ones who birthed the heavy metal stoners. But I saw Harry Carey singing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," trying to calm everybody down, and Beck was out there. Uh, everybody, return to your seats, and the. The infield's on fire, and they're burning signs and stuff. It was just insane. Yeah, oh. it, it was a cultural clash because Vec was trying to attack it from a baseball perspective. Hey, everybody, we got a second game going on. Get to your seats so we can watch the second game. But he's talking to people who don't give a damn about baseball. 
they think the greatest thing that just happened was this DJ got on the field said, blow up the records, disco blew up. Now we rule the world. So they're on the field and they didn't couldn't get the field cleared until the riot squad got out there. And they couldn't continue the game because there were no bases. Home plate had been taken up. Um, I do remember watching in between the games, the grounds crew working like crazy, trying to get the grounds together for the second game, trying like crazy. And they were sweating and it just couldn't be done. Um, and so Bill Vec got back on the field and told the fans the second game is being, uh, um, I think he said postponed, but I think actually they ruled it a forfeit, um, if, if memory serves me correct. But I remember him saying, Stay, save your ticket stubs uh, for and refund it for another game. And I'm looking back, I'm thinking, gosh, I bet they didn't catch too many of them. And I put those hippies one say, hey, let's go to another ball game, you know. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that ruins Mike Beck's career. And that's really where the documentary gets rolling because he bums around for like a decade. Yes. And then he's asked to join this independent league and take control over the St. Paul Saints. Yeah. The St. Paul Saints, who are stones throw away from the Minneapolis or the Minnesota Twins who play in Minneapolis. So you got this minor league independent team. And I think at that time they said independent ball was like somewhere below junior college baseball. Well, I mean, he went he went pro college, triple A, double A, A ball, high school ball, and the independent league. I yeah. think that's how he put it. You know, yeah. and the field they played on had a train. There was a home run wall and there was a train that would go by every once in a while. And um, you know, it didn't look promising, but it seemed like in those 10 years he just isolated himself and drank and he had a lot of problems and very unsociable, depressed. He got married and he had a son. And he named the son Night Train. Yes, he did. First name Night, middle name Train, last name Vec. So, and he's a, looking at him, you wouldn't think that's the about. last guy you would think that would be called Night Train. Yeah, yeah. But, but he said, even if you can't play, you'd be one of the first people picked with that name. So yeah. uh, he he's kind of out there, and I really like him. He's adorable. He's got to just laugh and. He's so full of life, and uh, man, he lives it right there on the edge, doing everything he can. But uh, yeah, the independence, he took it uh, as a personal, hey, we can do this, and he really made it a success. And to be honest with you, I thought it was, this documentary is going to be about the Vec family, you know, uh, how so he owned the teams. But once we got to that point, I thought, well, what else is there to tell? But let me tell you, just like you said, Vince, that's when the documentary really just starts, to be honest with you. You know, you want to you want to take it from there? Yeah, when when he goes to St. Paul, he gets married, remarried, and they have a daughter. And this is your classic daddy's girl. And she loved growing up going to the ballpark. She loved uh uh being a greeter at the ballpark. And I'm talking from the age of like four. She was very outgoing personality, very approachable. And she worked just as hard as her dad and her mom, because mom worked there too. They poured their all into the St. Paul Saints and they made them financially viable. Fans came, 
They did all the promotions. They pulled out ideas from the idea box all the time. And they had all kinds of tremendous uh, promotions and got the fans interested. And at one time when nobody else would sign Daryl Strawberry because he had burned every bridge with his personal habits, um, he signed Daryl Strawberry to play for the Saints. And he didn't want to, but his wife said, you of all people who've needed second chances in your life, you're refusing to give Daryl Strawberry a second chance. So Daryl Strawberry came and played for the Saints, proved himself, and the next year won a World Series with the Yankees. Just awesome. And, and he fell back in love with the game. He kind yeah. of fell out of, out of love with the game. And that's that's really what it's all about is – that all of us as kids just have this love for the game and I guess playing it, he got burned out and things got obstacles got in his way. And uh, they had a baseball player who just wanted to play ball and he had no legs. That's a true story. And they became friends. And uh, that's a real touching part of the story. right there. Yeah. And uh, Daryl had hit three home runs in a game. And this friend of his, the one that didn't have legs said, boy, you're, got a chance to get four here. He said, nope, you're taking my next at bat. And that I think that was his only at bat, wasn't it? I think, I think so too. Yeah. And he went out there, he did strike out, but guy doesn't have legs. So, <laughs> you know, but um, that was just a tremendous touching moment when, oh, yeah. you know, he said, Daryl said, no, you're going to take my at bat. And so he entered the game, took the at bat. And they had, they had other players like Jack Morris uh, pitch there, you know, after he had retired uh, from Major League Baseball. And so they Jack Morris is from Minnesota, so he's always going to attract people, and he's an attraction there. But he uh, he employed his son, too, and so Night Train was working for him. Uh, his wife was helping out, and his daughter grew up in that environment. And they bought other minor league teams and they kept replicating what they would do, what they were doing in St. Paul with these other teams. And finally, he got the call to come back to the big leagues to be the, uh, uh, what, what was he? can't remember something his title. With Tampa, something with Tampa Bay. Yeah, he something like with the race, like promotions and charge of promotions and stuff like that. He had an executive job. And opening night, they do indoor fireworks at the Trop. And apparently they did not, unbeknownst to him, have the ventilation system working. So all that smoke from the indoor fireworks just hovered over their head. And at the end of the game, an outfielder for the Rays misjudged the ball and the Rays lost because of that. And the player said, I lost it in the smoke. And that was Mike Beck's career. You know, just another little cup of coffee with the major leagues. And because of circumstances of not having the place well ventilated, he was gone again. But that was probably the best thing that happened to him. Exactly. Because when he moved to Florida, um, they found out that his daughter had this eye disease and was going blind. And so when he initially moved to Florida, he was wrapping himself up in his work so much. Um that way he didn't have to deal with his daughter who he is very close with. And his wife kind of called him out on it, lost a job with the race, went back to doing their minor league thing. And then the rest of the documentary goes on about the relationship of him and his daughter 
and all that happened with that. And I don't want to give anything away from there, um, but it's very touching. It's very sweet. Um, through it all, Mike Vec has retained such a positive, fun out. He's he's like the guy you want to hang out with. And oh, uh, definitely, yeah. And I I love that his son from another marriage who he didn't see very much for the first I don't know, 10 years of his life, it seemed like, but his son and his daughter also grew very close, even though they were just half siblings and there was such a huge age difference. And I thought that was really cool because as someone who has a blended family, I know that that can be tricky sometimes to, you know, the half siblings and the age difference and everything. But um, yeah, I, I laughed, I cried, I learned something, and I texted JJ. I think I watched it last Wednesday or Thursday. I said, I just watched the Beck documentary, and I cried three times. It was <laughs> it was tremendous. So if you get a chance to check it out, check it out. What's your final words to say on it, JJ? Well, you know, I think uh, life is not simple sometimes. There's highs and lows. And when you're at your lowest, you know things are going to get – They hopefully they get better, you know. Uh, this too shall pass. And uh, with, with Mike Beck, he had some highs and he had some very bad lows. But in the end, sometimes things happen for a reason. And when he took his daughter pretty much on a long trip to go anywhere they could even imagine going, it that was some of the highs, you know, and he, he's got of that to remember. So it was about redemption and to this, well, I don't want to ruin it too much, but uh about the ups and downs of life and just and and uh, perseverance and things like that and about families and relationships and all great movies are based on the, those subjects so i recommend it uh here at one cardinal one cub i got one wing up one wing up and one paw up <laughs> all right so please watch it let us know what you think of it i'd love to hear some feedback on it and i hope uh, our recommendations uh it's a good hour. It's an hour and a half long. It's a long one, but you'll enjoy it. I, I, I think my favorite part, and I'm not giving away anything with this, and uh, we are doing it really good at Cisco and Eva right now. Um, <laughs> but my, I think my favorite part was when she was losing her sight and she said, well, Dad, you know, I'm not going to be able to drive a car. And so while they were on this long extended vacation, he put her on his lap and <laughs> let her drive the car because I think she was like 12 at the time. She knew by the time she got her license, she wasn't going to be able to see well enough to drive. So he he spoiled her a lot, but she seemed like the kind of kid you couldn't help but spoil. What was she doing wrong? She just hanging out with her dad and doing baseball crap. Oh, That's awesome. <laughs> That's everybody's dream right there. And, you know, he also, a few things, uh, first professional uh, women's pitcher. He had a woman's yes. pitcher on the team. And... Uh, she talks about how wherever she tried to play, people, you know, they would catcall her. Or nobody believed in her. And he had her come down. She said, I didn't want this to be a, a publicity stunt. I want to earn my way on the team. And she pitched, had a great changeup and, and got to play professional ball. Um, you know, the pig, he had a pig that would bring out the balls to the, to the umpires and stuff like that. Just cool stuff like that. You'll laugh, and uh, this guy really he was an innovator, and the effect, the Vec effect is still in play today, you know, but his dad was the last of those old-timey owners, you know, and the business, the big businesses and things were starting to move in and take over at that point.
Yeah, he did. He did his work from the bar in Comiskey. He, <laughs> he he did not. He didn't wear a suit. He 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 was just a, an everyday person who owned a baseball team. So that's very pretty nice. cool. Our whole everybody's dream right there. Every baseball player fan's dream. JJ, I'm very excited. Oh, okay. Because I have a leaf set. Oh, very nice. Very nice. What are well, you? You're, well, you're opening those. I have I bought two packs of those giant baseball champions yesterday and today. So ah. I, there's only there's only five cards in there, but they're giant, a lot of writing on the back, storytelling, that kind of thing. This is the 1991 series two leaf set. All right. And oh, we start off with Darren Holmes. Holmes, I, yeah, I was going to say I don't know much about him. Why? Why is this happening? <laughs> what you did again? Somebody... I got two Lance Parishes. Oh, okay. Well, Lance like Big Bill Parish. Who was with the Angels? Lance Parish with the Angels there. Yeah. Oh, former Cub. Pirate at this time, Curtis Wilkerson. Decent utility. Okay, I, I remember him. Oh, very good pitcher and a very good manager, Bud Black. Yes. Yes. Oh, former uh, Cincinnati Red and Milwaukee Brewer, Franklin Stubbs. Oh, yes. I had a nice long career. Oh, this is a borderline Hall of Famer. He had a great career. Um, and he's actually, I did not remember that he finished out his career in Baltimore, White Evans. Do we? Uh, oh, really? He ended his career in, in, in Baltimore? That's the Orioles uniform he's wearing. Uh, yes, it is. I'll be darned. I didn't he know had, that. Uh, 379 home runs, 1,346 RBIs, uh, 272 batting average. Um, he walked a lot. I'm sure his on-base percentage was somewhere near 400 um, and excellent throwing arm, excellent gold glove right fielder, just borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah, good, very good player. Former Cardinal, former Cub, Todd Zeal. Oh, yeah, Todd Zeal. Love that guy. He, You know what? He was came up as a catcher, and because of Pagnazzi, they moved him to third base. Okendo helped make him a third baseman, a solid third baseman, but a good player. Guy who had a lot of power, had some uh, – very good years um, playing with Detroit and Baltimore and Texas, Mickey Tettleton. Yes. Oh, one of the uh, unfortunate people who got the case of the Ibsen around his career, but Chuck Knobloch, former rookie of the year for the Twins. Yeah. One of World Series for the Yankees. Oh, my gosh. Uh-oh. Hall of Famer? Should be okay. 1991 Kurt Schilling when he's pitching for the Astros. He will be one day. Uh, very good player and a really good uh, uh, baseball analysis and analyst, uh, Harold Reynolds. Oh, I love Harold Reynolds. I always think of him as a uh, Seattle Mariner. Former closer, Jeff Russell. Yeah. Jeff Russell, Texas, probably right there, isn't it? Ah, good pitcher for the White Sox, Alex Fernandez. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
and started as a starter for the Yankees, went to the bullpen, went to the Giants, went through a no-hitter. Uh, Dave Rigetti. Yes. And I have a puzzle piece of Harmon Killebrew. Oh, love Harmon Killebrew. There's nothing there but a Ebrew. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, All Vince, right. my set, I got those large postcards uh, style cards. There's only five of them, but there is a puzzle piece, and it's Duke Schneider. And of course, even you, Eagle Eye, right there, you can tell that's uh, Oakland Coliseum, right, Vince? No, this, I can't even tell what that is. That might be a necktie. That might be know. a Hershey bar. It could be a Hershey bar. Who knows? All right, there's always one player in here that um, there. it's like there's they played so long ago, it's just a drawing of them, but it's uh, Roger Hornsby, the Raja, right there. There you go. And on the back, it tells a little bit about him, and it's got his... Uh, Hall of Fame plaque on the back. That's pretty cool. So anyway, Roger Hornsby. Uh, all right, here we go. This is always fun. Um, Kansas City Royal, we both have a soft place in our hearts for the Royals. Well, here's Hal McCray. Oh, how, look at him smiling there. Vince, I don't know about you. Do you remember the time they were asking him about a loss when he was managing a team and he tore the uh, tore the phone off the wall? I don't know. Remember that one? I think it was he was maybe coaching the Pirates, maybe. Yeah, I like Hal McCray, very good hitter. Do you do you remember the uh, playoff game against the Yankees when he went in to uh, I think it was Willie Randolph in second base and just kind of side tackled him. He, oh. I mean, he didn't he didn't go for the slide or anything. He just bowled him over. Yeah. So, and you know, I don't like rules being changed but that's a good one because these guys were just setting ducks and then they just kept expanding the area they would go out and just knock over the second baseman there's been a lot of fights out there remember uh pete rose and larry boa got in a big old fight out there and will clark and ozzy smith and okendo it was ozzy smith and okendo beating on fighting will clark and then here come both teams uh we always mention a player and he comes back during the baseball cards one of my favorite 23 years with the boston red sox Carl Skrimsky. There he hey. is. Oh, Carl. Triple crown winner in 1967. Right there. Grandson plays for the Giants. That's right. Very, Mike, he's a very good player. All right. Here we go. One that maybe the best sideburns in the history of baseball. All right. The one and only George Foster. Oh. Yeah. Great sideburns. Of course, there he is with the Mets. I always think of George with the Cincinnati Reds. But there he is with the uh, with the Mets, and the last one, uh, some say one of the greatest curveballs ever. Uh, great nickname, Burt Blylevin, right there with the uh, Cleveland team. How about oh, yeah. that? Look, he's got some sun. It looks like man, it's a hot day out there in Cleveland. So anyway, he won. He was on two World Championship teams. Can you name them? Well, the Twins, the year they beat the Cardinals. And uh, what other team would he have been on? Maybe the 79 Pirates? 79 Pirates. Oh, huh? okay. Hey. He he was on that team. So um been young then. I want to explain something. If I look like uh, over the past 10 minutes, I've gotten a little further away. Um, I have. I have <laughs> had a brown recluse about the size of a half dollar crawling down my wall. My, my office is in the basement. And uh, we live in a very old house, so we battle brown recluse from time to time. I've been bitten before, so um, I went to go kill him, and he 
fell down the wall. And so I've kind of been a little skittish. So what I'm going to do tomorrow morning is before I edit this, I am going to fog this room for brown recluse. So. <laughs> but anyway, hey, JJ, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and um, it's not been a good week for me. And it's not been a good season for you. But you know mm. what? I always come on here and I get in a better mood. I do um, too. Yeah, I'm not in a good mood when I'm talking about my team in the in the dwindling playoff chances. But man, when we get to talking about like the back store and open up baseball cards, you know, we're just we're fans. Kids pushing 60 years old. Yes. Kids again. So so I'll meet you at player school and we'll play some Indian ball. How about that? All right. Sounds good. I got the wiffle ball and bat. All right. You all have a good one. Thank you.